It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good Friday morning, everyone. Got an excellent show for you today. Got uh, Hunter McIntyre and his girlfriend, Cassidy Watton. I call them the dynamic duo of Spartan Racing. They're going to get on the horn with us and talk about what they've been up to. But before we get started with that, I want to remind you and let you know that very shortly we're going to be adding some content entitled Listen and Learn. It's going to be an educational component for endurance athletes, OCR racers, marathoners. You're going to love it, but you're only going to find it if you go to the naturalrunningnetwork.com. Naturalrunningnetwork.com. So let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. I'm here with arguably one of the best obstacle racers in history, Hunter McIntyre, dear friend, and I wanted to get him back on the show. He's done this with us before. I wanted to get him back because lately he's kind of been off uh, off the screen. Not, a lot of people kind of wondering whatever happened to Hunter. Don't see him at the races all that often anymore. And I wanted to give him a chance to talk about that and some other things he's up, he's up to. And so, Hunter, say hello to everyone, please. Hey, dude, that was uh, one of my better introductions. That was very kind of you. Um, yeah, you know, it's good to be back, Rich. Uh, I'm also just a huge fan of the whole podcast and just being involved in anybody who's kind of trying to be uh, the forefront of the sport, whether it be running and or OCR itself. So you definitely are an awesome guy, and it's been an awesome opportunity to hang out with you and learn the lessons of running properly and also just kind of catching up and listening to all your stories along the way. You know, on that note, i got to tell you, I the video we took on Sunday. Oh, come I, on, don't mention that. <laughs> Let me just say this. I, 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 I put it up in my computer, and I got it in my editing software, and I set the whole thing to slow motion at about 10% speed. And I haven't released it, and I'm not going to, because I think that some people might be offended if I just kind of do it without talking to them first. Yeah. But it, it's kind of it's like being in the, in, the, uh, in the bush and watching gazelle run through the, you know, the savannah or whatever the hell. Yeah. It, it's just interesting. But anyway, for whatever it's worth, uh, 
Thank you for the little plug about the running and what have you. Oh, dude, well, dude, it, it, it's very interesting, and I think it's it's so crazy. I think you could take some of the best athletes in the world, and because of, and you can you can find these little subtle um, mistakes that they're making in their running, and and people may not notice that because they're so athletic and powerful, and they've got such dominating times in their sports that people are like, oh, they're the best at what they do, and that that's not necessarily the truth. Like you know. I run like a water buffalo, but I can, um, but I still post up good times and I win races. And since I've been introduced to hanging out with you and just the ideas of kind of catching all these little things while I'm running, and I've also grown accustomed to watching other people run. And like, especially on social media, you can watch people post these little videos or pictures, and I watch their feet and how they pronate, or I'm like, oh man, that dude's that dude's heel striking, or he's too far ahead of his center of mass, and it's really incredible, dude. Like, uh, I think you got to keep on preaching this message. And uh, you know, so what? You know, people may be pissed off showing uh, if you show some of this content, making them look like fools. But the truth is, if they ever want to really improve and become the best that they possibly can be, including people like myself, they're going to have to face their fears and, and uh, accept the fact that, you know, we're not all perfect. No. Well, I appreciate that. And you're absolutely point on. I, I'll tell you what. It's like. Oh man, I, I, you know, you know, I've been around. I see some of the best athletes in the world, and I, I pick at their work. I mean, just the other day, I had, you know, Michael Johnson, arguably the fastest man alive, on my show with me, and I beat him down about his running style. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> but you know, it's true, and he, he even admitted the fact that it, you know, his no one should try to replicate what he does. He's a freak of nature. You know, he's been beating people in races since he was six years old and, you know, has never looked back. And yeah. to try to change what he does, it, it just never it just never panned out, just never showed to be worth it. I've seen other great marathoners that uh, really, when you pick at what they're doing, and, and at the end of the day, it becomes a function of physics. You can't argue with physics. Uh, there are things that you could be doing that would put you in a better place, and when you begin addressing those concerns, you end up running better. Oh, dude, especially as an endurance athlete, you're just extending those compromised positions over time, and basically you're just going to keep on wearing yourself down. Like, you know, there's no escaping it. Gravity's well, against you. Yeah, well, the other end of it is, as you know, uh, I even mentioned it. On Sunday when we did that, that race pace video clip, where everything is magnified and exemplified, you know, five, tenfold. And so what happens is when you're overstriding and heel striking or even landing on your toes, you're making contact with the ground with in excess of four or five times your body weight. That's a tremendous amount of force to go into a bad posture, and you end up hurting yourself. So uh, then it becomes a function of, again, how strong you are and what how resilient you are and, and you know, the guys that are really – They've got that, that strength-to-weight ratio going for them. They get away with it, and other guys can't. So uh, I typically find the people that come to grips with the injuries, and they, you know, they've, they've just become so frustrated that eventually they come see me, and we start you know, sorting it out because they're motivated. They, they don't want to hurt anymore, and they be, become motivated, and things start to get better. So anyways, enough about that. I don't want to talk about me and my work. I want to talk about you and your work because I know there's a lot of people out there that love to follow the hunter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, you're a cartoon character, dude. You get out there and some of the stuff you do is really pretty funny and it's entertaining and, and people love it. And you're being a great athlete on top of that, that, you know, it's even more fun. So people are wondering, Hunter, 
where the hell you been in the last five, six months? Well, um, it's crazy. You know, life has changed so much, and I think I think everybody's life just comes in stages where I was introduced to Spartan Race in my life, just totally spun off and became a whole new thing. And uh, just recently, a new opportunity kind of popped up. I was approached by my buddy Simon Donato, who at first I had no idea who he is, and now he's basically like a – my twin, you know, he's basically part of the family now for me, um, and he is the founder and uh, host of a show called Boundless. So, I jumped in on a TV show uh, just about six months ago where we are traveling the world and doing all these extreme adventure races, whether it be a mountain bike race, a cross country ski race in Greenland. I'm about to go overseas and go to France uh, and Chamonix and do mountain bike races and then run across the mountains of Scotland. So it's pretty crazy. Like I was sitting there and I, I was in my house with all my bros just hanging out. We we're having a couple beers. And all of a sudden I get this message on Facebook and this guy goes, hey, Hunter, I've got a really cool opportunity for you. Any chance you got a few minutes to talk? And I just said, yeah, sure. And I step out of the room and I call this guy and he basically just drops this huge thing in my lap. He's like, Hunter, I've been following you. I've actually been at races and I've met you without even really mentioning like who I am and the fact that I was kind of watching you in the shadows type thing. And um, we've been pursuing you to be the host of our TV show. And we want you to come join the team to travel the world and do these radical races. And I was like, screw you, dude. Like, what are you talking about? And Dude, it was the truth. Like th these guys actually had been stalking me for a few months, kind of keeping track of what I've been doing, and uh, they gave me this kind of uh, life of a, you know, opportunity of a lifetime uh, to join this show, and and now I'm just kind of full on in it. And not to say that I I've I've kind of turned my back on Spartan Race, but I, I think right now I've changed gears and I'm just exploring this and uh, also using it as a vessel to become a better endurance athlete as well because. I've just been so in my own ways of kind of being like a powerlifting um, runner, and now I'm really trying to experience the traditional world of just crazy endurance, and it's it's, it's amazing. Like I've been telling you these missions along the way, but I, I'd love to tell some stories if you've got some questions. I do, I do. But uh, before we go off into that, uh, let's kind of backtrack. You know, in conversations you and I had where we we're sitting by the pool and. You know, we're looking at life and, you know, where it's leading us. And, and you know, I'm, I'm looking at you and I'm going, dude, you know, everything about you to me speaks of you being the guy in sprint obstacle racing. And looking at the direction the sport is headed, looking at the potential and where this is all going to shake out, I was pressing you towards that. And, you know, you were saying, well, you know, what I really want to do is I want to get my game up for world championships. And my struggle has been when I get up to the longer stuff, I run into trouble. In the midst of all this, you've got this other project going on where, you know, they're asking you to do some crazy stuff. Yeah. A lot of it that really is not conducive to improving your ability to, to race in this sport. And I'm kind of trying to talk you out of it, and you're kind of trying to talk me into it. And yeah. So it, it's been a conundrum for you, I'll bet, huh? Well, you know, I I kind of felt like the first few months of this, um, trying to do the cocktail of uh, Spartan racing while trying to do this TV show, I felt like a turtle on my back type thing. Like, I just had no direction or any kind of control on what I was doing. It just, it was a lot to handle. And 
I totally get where you're coming from. Like my dad said the same thing. My sponsor said the same thing. They're like, Hunter, it's a really cool opportunity, but you've got something so great going on in your life right now. Why don't you just kind of bite into it and just keep on charging with it? And, you know, I could have done that, but at the same time, I just, I've always been kind of one of those guys where it may have been like the end of the night and I've got nothing to do and I really want to go to bed. And then all of a sudden I stumble into a buddy in the street and he's like, Hunter, I've got two tickets to this concert and we're going and we're just going to go get hammered and dance the night away. And I'll, I could have walked away from that and said, you know what, I'm going to get a good night's rest because I got some schoolwork to do tomorrow. But I went off on that adventure and it's the type of thing where I look back at those days and I, I've got no regrets. And that's how I saw this opportunity. And uh, it seems to be a lot more of a uh, monumental mission to take on. But at the same time, it it's something I can I can look back and say I've gotten no regrets towards it. It's it's a really incredible thing to be part of this. Yeah, I, I agree with you, especially now, you know, having seen where it's leading and, and the opportunities that are coming from it. I think at the end of the day, it's probably the smartest decision you you've ever made so far. Oh yeah, I love it. Yeah, so I, I'm with you on it. I just, but I know again, you got a lot of fans out there that they miss you at the races, and you know, there's a lot of smack about you know who should be winning this or who should be winning that, and and there's a lot of interesting competition out there. And without you in the field to some degree, you know, I think people are feeling a little wanting. That's all. Well, here's the thing. Like, I'll, I'll give you this. Think about the a uh, few of the best athletes in the sport, like Cody Moat and Hobie Call. Those two guys have, like, between the two of them, almost like a dozen kids. And they've got lives where they're having to focus on their jobs and taking care of their families. And those guys only show up for a few races out of the year. And, uh, you know, I'm just kind of pulling back. And I, at first I thought, like, I was like, why aren't those guys racing every single weekend? They can make money. They can have fun. They can travel. But, you know, sometimes there's just other parts of your life that just kind of take over the majority of your time. And, you know, eventually I'm going to have kids. I'm not going to be able to show up anymore. Like, I'm going to try to be as much of a presence and hang out and really kind of try to be involved in the sport as much as possible. But, you know, it's the type of thing where I try to give everybody as much um, information about what I'm doing. But I think this is basically going to be the real first tell-all to the people what I've been doing and where I've been. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay, so who better to do it with? Hey, dude. I, you know, you were one of the first people I consulted about the whole idea of this thing. I was like, I think I should do it. And you're like, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> between you and my dad. Yeah, well, me and your dad are probably about the same age, so we're bringing that worldly old view, I guess, is what we're doing. Okay. Didn't you tell me you have a race coming up that you're looking to do? Or is that off the table, or what's going on? For Spartan, or are you talking about the Spartan. race? For Spartan. Yeah. Um, no, you know, honestly, I don't think I'm going to really be able to plug into anything until World Championships. And... uh that may sound crazy, and uh, it's just it's just it's not in the uh, deck of cards today. So, I, I just my summer's so packed up. I'm going to be in and out of Europe uh, all summer long, and also um, not many people know about this, but I'm moving to Miami for a year to go open up a gym with a couple of my buddies down there. So, you know that's going to be taking over my life. I'm moving over there midsummer. So just between all that stuff, I'm just kind of putting yeah. the brakes on the mud well we yeah. talked about that i wasn't going to bring it up unless you did no 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 dude uh you know the the gym thing is also another really cool opportunity um my buddy alexander nicholas he was the founder of a, a sports performance like you know kind of group fitness training company called epic and they have two in manhattan one in rhode island and we we're going to be opening up the fourth mm -hmm. one together with his girlfriend carly um down in miami so 
it's just another spectacular opportunity I'm really excited to jump onto. Like, I used to be a coach for him in New York City, and now that I've uh, kind of been out of scenes for a minute, I want to get back into it, but I also really want to, um, like, focus on being, like, head coach, really focus on growing the company and the brand, and uh, knowing better to do it with that guy's a real rock star. No, I like Alex a lot, uh, and he's definitely got uh, got his head on his shoulders, and he's been successful. So, you know, if you told me you were doing it on your own and you're just going to kind of go out there and see how it shakes out, I might have tried to talk you out of it. But knowing you got Alex on your side, I think that's going to really work out well. No, I need that kind of big brother, uh, pers- uh, you know, person in my life right now when it comes to these things because, honestly, I I don't think I could handle on my own. That's that's a big thing. And I I know you used to run gyms, and like I, it can be stressful. Like I I work out at different gyms all around the world, and it's just like that's intense having to cater all these people and trying to continually progress. It's a thankless job, dude. I got to yeah. tell you, I I own gyms for, geez, oh, co- close to twelve years. I finally got out. I sold my last place. It was a great place, by the way. It was not a small, but not a huge gym. I think about 15,000 square feet. 15,000? That's freaking massive. Yeah, state-of-the-art. It was a really nice, nice facility, and we did a great job with it. But uh, just the pressure just got to me after a while. I just, you know, It's not about fitness, you realize. It, it becomes a business, and it becomes about numbers, and it becomes about marketing, and it becomes about advertising, and numbers in the door and it just it for me it just got to a place where I wanted to get back to the work at hand which is working with people and doing the thing that I like to do now that's kind of what I'm doing even still I you know I eventually branched out opened my own little private training facility where I was doing a lot of lab work and things and glad I did it I lost a buttload of money doing it but you know it's tough I'm not going to lie to you again I'll say this uh, with my experience knowing what I know when you got a guy like that that's in it, he's been successful, multiple facilities, you're going to hit the ground running, so you should be okay. Yeah, you know, I think, honestly, um, you know, not to blow, uh, you know, smoke up his ass and make him feel like a, a rock star, but uh, Alex has been one of those kind of guys where I've watched him, anything he puts his hands on, it just turns to gold eventually, so um, let's just keep that attitude up. Yep. Well, I want to come down there because I love Miami. You know, it's uh, I used to do a lot of crazy stuff down there. None of it was healthy, I got to tell you. I, gee, I tell everybody that I'm like, you know, you're more than welcome to visit me, but we are going to be on a cleanse week. We're not going to South Beach. <laughs> oh my God! Just like that, you know, it's something about that that area. When you get out at night, and all of a sudden the birds start chirping, and when that sun comes up, man, it's just intense and ugly and it's like it is not a city to have a hangover in so <laughs> i know i know you know the thing is is people don't recognize this but like miami is basically like las vegas where everybody can just walk around in bikinis like it's it's out of control yeah so um it, i i definitely it's going to be a juggle also down there to keep myself um you know held back from all that excitement and i used to live in and out of there a lot when i was younger so i think i'm mature enough now to kind of stay away from it but you know, I'll tell you that tale when I get down there. Yeah. So let's talk about World's Championships. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The juicy stuff. The juicy stuff. Yeah. Let's begin like this. And and I had this conversation with somebody a while back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Yancey Culp we talked about this, but I want to get your take on it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start with the women. Now, you know, it's really interesting because I never really got that bent on a sport to, you know, start to figure on who's potentially going to win and, you know, like a horse race. But world championships, as we sit today, who do you think is a serious threat? 
For women? Yep. Wow. Uh, you know, honestly, I don't think it's going to be anybody who's currently ranked in the field. Like, there's people like Amelia Boone. Um, then there's like Lindsay Webster, who's as Atkins soon to be wife. Um, then there's Claude, who's won twice. Those guys are like all super studly chicks, and they're just incredible at the sport year round. But I think just because what Spartan Race has done is they've taken the most specialized event in the entire sport. There's nothing else like it. It's like imagine going to Ironman for a triathlete, but you every single other race throughout the year has been either a sprint or a half Ironman. And then all of a sudden they're just like, all right, the World Championships is going to be three times, four times as long as that. So that right there kind of spins everything on its top. And and then after that, the next crazy thing about it is they've just taken it and they've chucked it up at altitude, which is going to be four to you know four to six thousand feet higher than World Championships was last year. So it's going to stretch all the way from like you know up to ten thousand, eleven thousand feet maybe. So that right there is just like extremely like you know that's a, a really dynamic way to put a spin on this thing. So I think there might be a chance that someone like this girl who I'm doing uh, the TV show with, this girl named Rory Bozio, she is such an insanely fit mountain running athlete, and she's from Truckee, California, which is just outside of Tahoe. Like, you know, if, if someone like that showed up, she honestly could miss almost every single obstacle and still have a chance of winning it. Like, it's crazy. And I'm a little bit worried, like, and that also goes for the guys. I'm not kidding you. Like, imagine someone like Michael Wardian shows up who just is kind of like a mountain goat or like someone like Joe Gray. You know, those guys are so physically fit when it comes to mountains. There's a chance that, um, you know, some random freak out of nowhere might take the title. But let's say that doesn't happen. My money would be on uh, Claude, Lindsay, or Amelia. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think... You know, honestly, there's there's no one else in the sport fitter than them for running. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. I think that uh, Rose has a tremendous chance in her running capacity, but I don't know how she fares at altitude. Um, I don't, and I don't know how she fares at distance and, and altitude. Well, that's that's the whole sport. I mean, what are you talking about? Right. Just because she can run a four thirty mile doesn't mean she can stretch it out for four hours. <laughs> Well, again, that's the wild card in this is that, as you suggested, being at altitude and, you know, it's it's a runner's event. It's it definitely. Yeah. Now, I talked to Joe Gray about this, by the way, and uh, he has no interest in the sport. Dude, I keep on trying to bait him in. I'm like, dude, like, I get it. Like, that's what that's what happens when you're a traditional endurance athlete, though. Like, you just think that anything outside of your sport is kind of hocus pocus. Like, what are you talking about? If I'm a great runner, why would I? split up my running skills with a running and like, you know, biking and swimming. Like, why would I be a triathlete? If I was a really good swimmer, why would I waste my time doing the other? And like, you know, they don't want to deal with that kind of gimmicky sport that we're in. You know, Max King's come to play and Max King is somebody who we got to watch out for, but I don't think Joe's ever going to come. I mean, we got kind of got off the women onto the men a little bit, but look to look at guys like, uh, you know what I'm going to say is Atkins. He impresses me. The guy shows me, just such a, a wide berth of talent that I, I like him in this race. Well, that's the thing. Uh, and not to undermine uh, anybody who's already been part of the sport, who's in it now and including myself, but 
you know, Atkins is a very, very well-trained endurance athlete. It doesn't matter what you put him on. Like, the dude is going to be able to move very hard and very for a very long period of time, no matter what he goes up against. So that's why he's doing so incredibly well. And I think now that, like, you know, people like Cody Moat and Hobie have seen people like that are coming into the sport, I think they might really buckle down and start to hit things up a little bit more seriously. So maybe those guys are going to come back with a vengeance and do some real damage. And uh, But I think you're, you're still looking at the same three people on the podium the next year uh, unless some kind of freak show comes in, as I said. I would think that Atkins has got a bit of a vendetta. I think he wants to win this race because, you know, some of the crap that's kind of gone on with the way he's sponsored and, you know, the politics of the sport a little bit. Do you think there's any of that going on? Or he, I, I mean, talking to him, he's such a well-rounded and easy-to-get-along-with guy. It might be just me talking, but I would think that he's got a little something in him that really wants him to win this race because it's a Spartan event. Well, I don't know if that's what's going to push him over the edge, but I think he kind of got um... – He's one of those people who thinks that like the whole spear throw thing is kind of a gimmick and stuff like that. And he, he says that's the reason why he ended up really losing, I guess. Like, if he didn't miss that spear throw, he would have done much better. And also, I think that the fact that Spartan Rays has kind of boned him on some opportunities to really show that he's a battle frog athlete might have put a little fire under his butt. But honestly, um, I think he's just going to come in with a, uh, a stomach full of fire and he's just going to get out there and tear, tear it to pieces. Like, yeah. he... He's got a lot of energy to it. I was just hanging out with him in Colorado, and I was listening to him, and, uh, you know, he just is, like, talking about it. He's like, I want to make sure that I'm there, and I'm, and I'm fitter than anybody. I'm, I'm running up the hills faster than everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm stronger than everybody. I'm, you know, I'm more well-prepared and this, that, and the other than everybody. I'm like, wow, this guy, <laughs> already, he's just on a, a death march already, so he's definitely in it to win it. Yeah. Well, he's a grip. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a pretty sharp guy. He's pretty well-driven. And he knows what he's doing. And he's got a pretty good sense about what he's capable of. So I see that as being obviously in his in his favor. What about some of the other guys? I'm putting you on a spot a little bit, and I'm doing it on purpose. Yeah, sure. <laughs> what do you think about uh, Isaiah's chances? I don't think he's got it. Um, I think someone like Isaiah or I would have to honestly put in maybe another year or two of very, very serious, and that includes this year, so maybe just an extra year on top of this, of extremely serious endurance work, like just so well implemented to have a chance, because I think, honestly, it's just like me trying to show up into the Boston Marathon, just because I'm a good runner in OCR doesn't mean that I'm going to crack into the top 20 for Boston Marathon, so that's the kind of talent that's coming into the sport, the best mountain runners in the world, um, are starting to cross over into our sport and they want the money, they want the fame. So, you know, I think Isaiah and I at any given time could take over, um, could win the majority of races that last anywhere from 30 to 90 minutes. But when you start to stretch over past 90 to two to three hours, um, we're just not ready for it. And like, you know, I was so fit last year. I just didn't, I didn't put the gears in and I, I just wasn't ready to kind of push that hard up those mountains and run that hard down those mountains to win. And, uh, but then, you know, all of a sudden they do the short course final and both Isaiah and I are on the podium for that. So that shows. Right. Well, you know, I don't think anybody would argue that, um, in a short event, 
you're absolutely going to be on the podium if you put yourself to it. And Isaiah's shown pretty pretty great progress actually over the last five six months. He's doing yeah. he's doing pretty well. He's a fit dude. He is super fit. I mean, I met him two world championships ago when he had just biked across the country to come race world championships. So the dude's putting in the time and he's got the guts to get the job done. I just think you know physiologically, and you know this just as well as I do. Um, we just haven't adapted to that kind of uh, endurance yet, and it will take some time. Like, you know, the majority of the champion, the really good um, endurance runners in our sport are 30-plus. So they've had a lot of years, a lot of training. Well, what I've been finding is that there's a lot of gumption in the sport. People are willing to throw themselves hard and and just just punish themselves to get to the finish line. And they're putting a lot of time into the strength component of the of the efforts to learn, you know, the technique to climb a rope, example being, and, you know, getting across some of these uh, monkey bar obstacles and what have you. But what is lurking in, in the darkness that it would seem so painfully obvious, but nobody's addressing it, and we talked about it earlier, and I'm bringing it up again, is they're just not working on the running skills. And I think that that's really what's going to define the champions coming in, even in the shorter stuff. I think there's probably only five athletes who put in the running year-round to make themselves um, viable for that that podium spot when it comes to world championships. And I'm saying that because I know that I don't do it. The reason why is because that's just not who I am. Like, you know? Yeah. you could tell me that red wine's better for my heart um, a million times over, but I'm still going to go to the bar and I'm going to have a beer. You know what I mean? Right. That's just who I am, and that's the only reason why I love to train for the sport that way, and I think a lot of people do that because, you know, there's not much appeal, and it's not very sexy to be running, like, you know, 20 hours a week. And, that you know, anybody who feels differently, I'm sorry to say that, but for me, and, you know, I just was having this conversation with somebody if I could create the perfect training for OCR and um, for myself, I say that championship season is October through the, the December. You take two months after that just to kind of do some strength and start to put in some very base base miles. And then right around when March hits, um, you're going to start to start to add like, you know, more hill work and sustained work and like, you know, start to do some strength running and start to add a little bit more volume and continue uh, doing some more like, you know, focused um, endurance bouts using like strength circuits and things like that. And then throughout the summer, like you take all that strength and, and recovery time and you just put it into huge miles over the summer and whether it be biking, running, swimming, you just get tons of volume in. And then you're just going to have to be really smart and and um, very careful about how you survive the championship season, because there's there's so many opportunities to make a, a lot of money, and athletes like um, a lot of these athletes will go out there and just beat themselves in the ground and race five weekends in a row trying to prove something to themselves. And you know, as you saw, like you know, I just finished six months of recovery from IT band syndrome because I raced my ass off from. October, I mean, September 20th, all the way until uh, the last race, I ran in a weight vest, Malibu, um, the Malibu sprint at the end of December, and I, it just was too much for my body, and I just uh, broke down for six months, because my body had had enough. 
Right. Well, a couple things that you know you brought some really interesting points up, and I I, I want to expound on it. There's been a lot of conversation in social media lately about what would be the appropriate volume of running to do in order to perform well in this sport. And I think that they're missing the point. Uh, I don't think it's a, a function of the magical mile, how many miles per week or, or month you need to get in. I think that the real question that's not being addressed is how to run. Because when you learn to run well, then the volume almost doesn't matter. You, you can run much, much more and, and be impervious to injury. It comes down to the strength-to-weight ratio. If and you, Even in your case, you set it up very nicely. You put in six months' worth of hard-ass racing and pounding on yourself, and you capped it off by putting a 20-pound vest on and went into a sprint. And if you're hitting the ground poorly, you just compounded the problem with 20 pounds' worth of excess weight that you're not accustomed to carrying. No, I was just putting these big shiny nails in my coffin. <laughs> well, the point being is it just it, it becomes a function of somewhere along the way you got to break it down, get it right. A good example of this is a long time back I interviewed Leo Manzano who won the silver medal in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Leo, you know, came up as a cross country runner, came up as a miler, came up as an 800 meter guy through high school, through college. In his professional career, he doesn't exceed 40 miles a week. Mm-hmm. He said he never puts his foot on the ground unless it's quality. The minute that he identifies that there's errors in the way he's moving, he stops what he's doing, he breaks it down, brings in a coach, has people work on it till he gets it corrected before he takes another step. Yeah, yeah. And so for him, he can achieve in 40 miles a week what his competitors are doing in 120 miles a week. And I don't think he's light on the miles. I just think he's able to keep his fitness, he's able to keep his technique, and he's able to perform very well at 40 miles. Now, you're going to find people that just are more commonly anaerobic, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, I did a thing with Phil Maffetone recently, and, and he, you know he made a comment that I thought was interesting. He said, so many people have basically trashed their aerobic system. And, and you trash your aerobic system by, you know, exposing yourself to so much high-intensity training all the time with no respite where you're actually getting in and oxidizing the muscles and encouraging improvements in your aerobic functionality. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a guy that's in that position needs more volume, but he can't do the volume unless he corrects his form. So it kind of becomes that uh, that conundrum, you know, where if you don't fix the form, you can't get the volume. If you don't do the volume, you don't get the aerobic conditioning. And then you got on the other end of the spectrum, you got guys that have tremendous aerobic potential just genetically where they really don't need the, the volume, they need the intensity. They need to be able to bust a move and also be capable of dealing with that lactate intolerance that they've achieved. So it's, you know, you can't just blanket statement say 20 miles is how many miles you should do, the rest of the stuff should be dedicated to this, this, and this. It, it's just not a one-size-fits-all situation. Well, no, I, I agree, and um, you know, honestly, I, I've been a huge fan of CrossFit endurance because of the way that I've been able to implement certain kinds of running, and you know, I don't think that's necessarily the way to sustain your training year round. And uh, I think you know what that guy did with the forty miles a week can that could be the the punch that needs to be packed in like everybody's training, but it depends on how you really want to how you want to just split your time and how you how you're passionate about your your sport and your training so 
I'm not going to tell anybody how to do anything uh, because I'm not 100% sure how what's right for me or what's right for anybody just yet. So, you know, ever since you and I started talking, I've definitely started implementing a lot more volume into my training, but also keep that sustained work and some of the high intensity work just to keep myself sharp. But like I'll tell you, and you know this, I tried to work with a triathlon coach for three months straight of just putting in extreme volume thinking that, you know, maybe that's the, the new way to try things. And I just beat myself into the ground and it, it wasn't the right thing to do. Well, you know, as a matter of fact, I recommended that coach to you. So, yeah, no, well, <laughs> but uh, the point being is that when you look at this person and we're talking about Leslie Patterson, yeah, no, she, have you seen her race stats lately? She's killing it. She is killing it. She is an absolute machine, but guess what? She's like, She's under five foot. She's just a teeny, teeny little thing. And she can handle that. I'm six foot two, 200 pounds, and I try to get on a bike and run myself into the ground thinking that I'd lose weight and it'd be awesome and I'd become a rock star. And it was just like every day I woke up and I felt like someone had just like, – remember that scene in um, Full Metal Jacket when they tie the guy down and beat him with bars of soap? Yeah. That's what I felt like happened to me when I was sleeping every night. Like, I just was like, how is this so painful? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you're not accustomed to that kind of work. And, and again, not to take anything away from her, but, you know, for her to put in 20 hours worth of riding on a bike in a week, that's like you putting in three, you know? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it's nothing for her. So yeah. it's difficult. And, you know, it's really interesting, too, is a lot of coaches, they have what I call the study of one. They build their coaching based on the success that they've experienced on their own. And, you know, a lot of people appeals to them because they're looking at, oh, man, I want to be like you. I want to be like you. Well, you're not genetically the same setup. You're not uh, you're not that person. You don't have the same set of problems that they had or don't have. Can't really do that. I mean, that's what always intrigued me about doing the clinical evaluations because pretty quickly you identify who you're dealing with and then you get a sense of what kind of things need to be worked on as opposed to just saying, well, this works for me, so let's go knock this out of the park. Okay. Hey, now, quick question. With the clinical evaluations, and this may be a little bit off topic, but I hope uh, people can grow to understand some insight from my question. Now, I did the VO2 max with you, and I didn't have a spectacularly high score. Um, and I've done other tests where I've done VO2 max tests with um, some athletes in the room who had much higher VO2 maxes than me. And I ended up running much longer and much faster than they did on the treadmill. And then also I've done other treadmill tests where, you know, it has to do with, um, you know, how quickly you recover afterwards and things like that. And my scores were through the roof. But if you look at physiologically what my standpoints were, like the highest I've ever had was 66 on the VO2 max. And the one I did it with you was 62. But some other athletes may be on the same treadmill. And I like, you know, the way that they did it with me in um, Texas is we just kept on rolling the treadmill up faster and faster and faster and faster until we found my peak. Now, some guys were going above 70 in their VO2 max scores, but I was running, you know, at 14 miles an hour at 2% on the treadmill when they quit out nearly at 12 miles an hour. So how does that work? Well, first of all, that's a really good question. And the answer is it isn't just about VO2. Because VO2 points to a potential. What, what I've told people for years is that there's this checklist of the things that are getting in the way of your performance. And the VO2 max is definitely on the list. If you have a high VO2 score, 
then it points to great potential. But it doesn't mean that if you have the highest score in the room, you're going to win, as you found out. Yeah, okay. But your threshold now, the metabolic turn point, is a very important component of that test. And actually more important to me in my in my world then is VO2 score. Because like you suggested, on a good day you blew a 66, with me you blew a 62. If you came back the next day, we tried it again a different way, maybe we got a bigger number. But it almost doesn't make any difference because at the end of the day, you're in the 60 club. And that kind of puts you in a particular category in respect to potential versus somebody that blows an 80. Now, I've got athletes I've worked with that have blown in the 80s, which is mind-boggling. That's like less than one percentile of the world that can do something like that. But their their performances are lackluster. i got a guy that can blow an 80, and he can't break a 230 marathon, where you got guys that are running 210, 208, and they don't blow past 70. And so what do you say about that? It's just they're they're more efficient. Mechanical efficiency is a critical component. Uh, Your threshold is a critical component. And some people have an innate capacity to convert this lactate they're producing to working energy. And dealing in, in an environment that is very uncommon for most aerobic athletes, meaning that they can put up with a lot of lactic acid, where some guys, typically the guys that are really, really aerobic, you put a little acid on them and they die. That lactic acid just takes them out. I like that. That's <laughs> well, so there you go. So there's all these different variables. So, again, when I when I talk about clinical evaluation and trying to decide what to do with somebody, I'm just trying to get as much information as I possibly can gather about the way their body responds to work as opposed to just, you know, we're going to go out there and hit it and hope one day that it's going to work out. Yeah. Hey, um, speaking of clinical evaluations, I've got the most incredible guest speaker who you could clinically evaluate for a second here. My girlfriend, Cassidy Lane Watton, just walked in the room. All right. Oh, hi, Rich. Hey, Cassidy. You guys catch up for a second. What's going on? Oh, nothing much. Just um, in between clients here and uh, trying to thinking, thinking hard about getting a track workout in today and trying to muster up the courage. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. I know you got a lot of stuff on your plate right now. You're thinking about moving and all that kind of stuff. We talked about it a little bit ago. We we didn't talk about you in it, but we talked about the fact that you guys are planning to move to Florida and life-changing experiences. So Yeah, totally. But Tuesday's track day, so Well, there you have it. Yep. By the way, I was there at six o'clock this morning. That is great for you. You know, we had a little going away party for us actually last night, so it was um kind of a late one. I got it. You know, I can't do that anymore. You know, I, I don't do it very often, maybe a couple, couple times a year. I'm so bad at that now. I mean, if listen, if I stay up past midnight and been doing cocktails or what have you, the next day is gone. I've just basically, I've just sacrificed the next day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I, I can't do it. That. I mean, we're, we're in bed by nine, you know, up five, six every day. So that's our lifestyle. God, I'm like an old, old, old man, but I love it. Yeah. So incidentally, I should, you know, just for the record, I should say congratulations on uh, on your uh, your move to Spartan. So thank you. Yeah, how do you feel about all that? Um, I feel really good about it. I mean, it's so funny. I've been doing this. Hunter and I would joke about this for a long time about how long I've been doing Spartan races and how it's just been a long time coming. It seemed like the obvious thing to happen, and for some reason, it didn't happen early on, and then. 
I took up this opportunity with Atlas Race, and I kind of took a risk with them, and it turned out to not be the best decision. So now it feels good to just kind of just be doing what I should have been doing all along and just, you know, be on the Spartan Pro yeah, team. You know, the funny thing is, is Cassie's actually one of the best girls in the sport based on her record. Uh, I feel horrible, but I feel like she just gets sweeped under the rug, um, and people are like, oh, that, that's just Hunter's girlfriend. She's just here because he's here. Oh, no, I don't see <laughs> that know, at all. I, I've been winning more races than Hunter for the past, like, nine months. Yeah, I know. I'm racing, thank you for Actually, you know what? It's Cassidy, it's more like Hunter's your boyfriend. Right. You know what I mean? You're the shit. He's just, you know, tagging along for the ride. Cause she's the breadwinner these days. I'm like, <laughs> you better go make some money for this family. <laughs> yeah, couple, couple number one in obstacle racing, hands down. Mm. So I, I really enjoyed the little, the little... Too. We do, we do. Do what now? We, we also ca- carry the most mass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 It's like a couple of Vikings, right? Yeah. We're like um, 345 pounds combined. <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to go to the weight thing. I just, um, I. <laughs> but Cassidy, you know, you're tough as nails. I mean, I've seen you out there. You know, you're you're very very tough, and you know, you're always uh, a threat. Certainly in the shorter stuff, and I haven't seen you race that much, but. I have seen you at the combine, and and I and I know what you're capable of. So uh, you know anybody that would uh, try to cast aspersion or say you're not in it, you know they're not paying attention. Well, thank you. Well, that's true, right? Yeah, it is. It's um, it's always a battle though of uh, you know, strength strength versus speed. So we are uh, trying to get by on our on our grit and athleticism and engines that are probably built for shorter things and, and trying to transform ourselves into endurance athletes. So it's been interesting. But we've both been kind of getting outside the box this year where we've been riding our bikes a lot. We go running a lot more. We're kind of just adventuring and taking all these trips to kind of really discover ourselves as endurance athletes this year. Whereas when I first met Cassie, she was like, oh, I like CrossFit. So I started dating her and taking her to CrossFit gym every morning at 5 a.m. just to hang out with her. And, um, you know, we're kind of putting the weights away and trying to explore the endurance thing. And, uh, you know, hopefully that works out. Otherwise, um, we're just going to get like, you know, we'll become become those like skinny fat people. We're just super (laughs) skinny and kind of got that pot belly. That's me. There you go. Oh, man. Well, you know, I got to tell you, talk about grit. I was at that combine in Temecula, and I remember I was like I was the turn on that that uh, that what do you call that the bucket carrier whatever you call that thing. Oh my gosh! And uh, you talk about going down hard. I mean, Cassidy went down with that bucket of gravel oh, yeah. on that downhill and just was like you know roadkill. Just went yeah, down. I was picking gravel out of my legs for weeks after oh, that. Oh man! And you got right back up and did it again. You know, and I got to tell you, the the loving boyfriend that you had, he's like on a cell phone. Oh, yeah. You know, he had, like, whatever. You know, oh, God, I'm going to have to hear this all week. You what know? are you talking about? <laughs> Come on. I'm an angel. I tell her that every night before bedtime. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, all I know is that uh, she took a hit, man. She took a real serious hit and got right back up and got, got in it again, so... You gotta have guts, though. I mean, if you yeah. don't go for it, I, yeah. I like that about her. That that's like the most iconic thing of that entire weekend when Cassie just face planted into the ground with a bucket, <laughs> a bucket of gravel. Did you see the um the event where you had to jump over the eight foot wall multiple times in a minute? Yes, she went straight. She went from eight yes. feet straight to her chest. I know. 
That won me that event, though. Yeah. Well, I've got to tell you that you know I, I talked about that for for a long time afterwards because I look at them walls and I'm going, dude, I can't even I can't even jump up and grab hold of it, let alone you know <laughs> throw myself over the top of it and dive into a burpee. And yeah, then dive back over and dive into a burpee. That was the dumbest event ever. <laughs> oh my god! It's just like Break everybody's you know, wrists and ankles. You know that you know the cartoon where the guy, you know the the two animals like grab the guy's leg and slam him into the ground and slam him into the ground back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, that's yep. kind of what that was. <laughs> yeah, that's what Spartan Race is as a whole. I think that basically just depicts how much of a, a, a clown house it is. But whatever. Well. well there's the East Coast Combine coming up in mid-July that I think I'll be at. So we'll see if they, um, how, I don't know, if they keep things the same or if they change. At least the scoring system, I think, was a little askew. You got that right. And, yeah. I, you know, I mentioned that to Joe. I gave him a little recap of the Combine, whether he liked it or not. And what I felt was that, number one, a Combine, there's a tremendous amount of rationale for having that in the sport. Because, number one, if you're looking for an athlete to sponsor, what better way would there be to look at a combine and see what they're capable of, right? Mm-hmm. But you need an even playing field. So, you know, taking that, that bucket brigade or whatever you call that, the the steepness of the grade that you guys had to run up, the technical difficulty of navigating that course, what if it's the grade is different on the East Coast? Oh, it's totally going to be different. Well, the point being is that you can't compare the numbers. You you can't say, well, you know, so-and-so did better than so-and-so because so-and-so on the West Coast only turned the time of X and this person turned this time. So you've got to standardize that process. You really do. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just like everything else in obstacle racing right now. Everything's just like a little bit too rinky-dink to be, like, taken seriously as a sport. And everyone's wanting to be taken seriously, but it's, just kind of just a color off from being, I don't know, something Freakish. extremely respectable. Yeah. Well, I, I think that what's going to happen, and the problem is that it's growing so fast. I looked at some numbers the other day where, and I don't know if you saw that, but they looked at running, like marathon, half marathon, triathlon, combined comparatively to Spartan racing, and the numbers for running and what have you combined was like 2.5 million participants the uh, obstacle racing is four million. Wow! I mean, it's it's doubled the amount of people participating in obstacle racing. That's huge. That's really really big. You know, Rich, you could honestly, um, you could get back in the game and you could start winning some of these master competitions. Yeah, come no, on. No, I couldn't, dude. <laughs> come on. You know, first of all, I, I I think I lost the want. You know, you get to a place where. You got to realize that there was a day in my life when I was rolling a little bit older than you. You talk about thirty years old being the premier kind of age for endurance athletes. At thirty, I was pretty good. I was, you know, I was in there and I, I'd take a punch like anybody. You know, put Dude, I the, saw you in that long course championship with that like super awesome looking mustache. <laughs> yeah, it's like they had that porn mustache working. Dude. You know, and I podiumed at that race, and that was an ugly. That was a Snake River, dude. I, I think I grabbed an alligator in that that river while I was swimming. No, honest to God. And I tell you what, I was. You could see like a you know like the jet boats. You have the rooster tail behind you. I yeah. grabbed this slimy long thing in the middle of my stroke, and it was like it was like a like a you know those ducks that run across the top of the water. Just I, I was out of there. I mean, yeah. that was probably the reason why I podiumed. 
I think we should have more alligators in obstacle racing. Dude, they had them. Was Superhero Scramble used to be like a really ghetto version of Spartan Race. And I was in a couple of events where they had alligators in the water, and I was just petrified. You know what you should do is, is, is like, get the alligators and pull their teeth out and don't tell anybody. I like that. And just stick them in the water. You know what I mean? Well, sock grabbers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that might be it, you know, because everybody's trying to figure out what the next obstacle is going to be. And, I mean, it's a fine line, too, because you get to a place where if these things get taller and taller, you're going to have more and more people getting really seriously hurt. And well, you, you got to be careful. I think there's easy ways to fix that. I think that's the next big um, kind of movement in the sport is how to make the obstacles more geared towards the sport, um, like the professionals in the sport, and then and then we'll see, uh, you know, because right now the courses are all designed for everybody to get through and then the, the elites to go through a little bit faster. Now, the only way the sport's going to get to become like, you know, Olympic tier, I think, is honestly where we're going to have to start separating certain obstacles as elite only. And, um, you know, I'd like to see that. Like this year in World Championships, I think what's going to really uh, – be the most important thing in all, across all world championships, OCR World Championships, Battle Frog, Spartan Race, is creating a lot of standards where there's absolutely no fail obstacles. And they, they did that in OCR World Championships, and that's how Cassidy ended up taking second place because a slew of these girls who just thought that they were professional obstacle racers who were actually just really good runners ended up coming up to a lot of obstacles and not even being able to come close to finishing them. And where tradition has it, you could just do 30 burpees and jog past. Now these guys are starting to hold the standard where if you don't get it done, then you're not start continuing the race. So, Yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, well. It definitely evens the playing field for someone like Cassidy. I can see that. There you go. Uh, yeah. Thunder thighs have some purpose. If we, uh... Cassidy, while you were gone, I asked Hunter a question. I'm going to ask you now. Okay. Uh, the what what is your take on favorites for world championships female oh wow um you know let's see for spartan race world championships yep um you know let's see probably i mean there's always like amelia claude and, and uh what's her name diana blegg i feel like people like Deanna, she's just like such a hoss. I feel like the, um, you know, it's it's a really, really obviously true endurance event. So these people with just the miles under their belt, meaning like years and years of miles, um, really have the advantage a lot of the time. Um, but then, of course, you have someone like um, Corinna. Was Corinna was her first year last year? But she took second, right? Yeah, she kind of just hopped in, not not knowing any better, and she's a young one, and she she came on the podium. So, I think that it will. Um, uh, I don't know. It it could be, it could be anyone, I suppose. But yeah, just the the, the normal names. I think. Um, Deanna, Claude, Amelia. I think Corinna has a good chance again. I think that. Um, I've I've got a shot at it too. I think it'll look a lot like Breckenridge. Hopefully not exactly like Breckenridge because I didn't do so hot. But um, it was just like you know a really field of ten girls that like each one of them really could have come out on top. KK actually I don't I forgot about her. Um, 
Rose wasn't there, but Rose, I think, has a good chance. But I'm not – well, yeah, Rose, too. It's really hard to tell. Like, the, when I came up to Breckenridge, it was the type of race where it's like, I don't know if I'm going to come in first or I'm going to come in tenth. That's, like, how deep the field was and how, you know, you just don't know how everything's going to stack up together, like obstacles versus the running or how someone – it turns out I just – I was still just thrashed from an event the weekend before, so I had nothing in the tank. But, um, yeah, I guess I don't have a, a great answer for that. Well, it's it's a good answer, and it, it mirrored uh, what, what Hunter had to say pretty closely. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's what's kind of cool about the sport, you know. You don't know. It's like there's a handful of people. It's like they could win or they could come in 10th. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, it's 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 been fun for me. This has been fun for me because you know I've done I've done it all. I've worked with all kinds of different athletes. I've done a lot of work with triathletes, a lot of work with uh, endurance runners, um, even boxers. I mean, I, I've been all over hockey, but this is cool. I, I just really really enjoy this this whole. You know, it's it's so animalistic. I mean, there's so many things that can happen. There's so many challenges. I, I've made the comment before. It's like a Rubik's cube. I like to play with it like a Rubik's Cube. Now I'm like the voyeur. Back in the day, maybe I would have got muddy and I would have tried to put my hand in it, but, you know, I'm too old for that these days. Now I'm just going to enjoy my single malt scotch and fix the Rubik's Cube. Yeah, yeah. you got that. I cut my elbow. Um, <laughs> he slammed his elbow on my nightstand and he's bleeding now. Oh, good. That's yeah, good. but please let us know how that Rubik's Cube comes along because it is quite interesting just like, Rich, you got to start turning that secret lab into churning out all the beasts of the world because you could become the uh, the dominating coach of this whole sport. Well, I got to tell you, I wasn't going to bring it up, but I had a conversation yesterday. I don't know if you saw the poster boy picture of Isaiah running in his little fancy white outfit with yeah. him, and dead into his heel. I like Isaiah. I think Isaiah's a good guy, and and him and I spoke about doing some things together in the past, and but Yancey reached out to me when he saw my comment, and now it looks like Yancey and uh, Isaiah are going to come visit me so we can spend some quality time and see if we can sort out some of these issues and get them in a better place. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I think people are really starting to realize, I was really impressed when I came out to that clinic, that people are really starting to, I mean, even someone like me, who I, you couldn't even get me to run, let alone care about my running form, and people are really starting to understand the importance you know just how it affects everything not only like efficiency but to prevent injury and all that so that's good. well it makes a difference the the key thing is is when you got guys that identify that wow i changed this little stuff and all of a sudden things are getting better and i know you guys are friendly with dylan davis i don't know if you see the post he put up when i met him on the ship uh four months ago till now he told me that if if he was to go out and run ten miles, he would be trashed. Oh, dude, I've been talking to him. That dude's my boy. He says he's been crushing it. He dropped thirty two minutes from his ten mile trail run, and he said he could do it without any issue, no pain, nothing bothering him, because he's been a grip. He's been following my advice very very closely, and it's really starting to pay off. And now I get you know a conversation with him every day. He's like, hey, what about this? What about that? He's off to do death race this weekend and I told him I said if that doesn't kill him when he gets done we're looking at uh, greater ground nice 
proud of that guy for the progress he's had. He's killing it. Yeah, well, that makes a difference. When you start paying attention to details and you start putting in the time, it makes a difference. And, and I'm not going to lie to you. I've been picking up a lot of clients lately at a distance where we're just sorting out some of these issues, and they're, and they're showing me that they're improving. And, you know, they're starting to get on a podium where they wouldn't have been before. It's good stuff. Yeah. Well, so, go ahead. myself and all of the listeners, why don't you give us three magical tips that would basically transform you into an unbreakable championship ready athlete if you had to if you had no way of getting in front of you face to face, how do you change that? Wow. Okay, well, number one, I, I definitely when you started to tell me that I had one thing for sure that's on my lips. I just got through doing some research and I was consulting for a new running shoe company. And they they charged me with trying to come up with you know, their their marketing shtick. What do we say about this shoe that's different than everybody else's? So I'm out there doing a lot of research to try to figure out what I could say. And I came across some research that was conducted at the uh, University of Wisconsin. And these guys did the time and trouble to look at gait very, very, very closely and ramifications of making mistakes versus doing things right. And the one thing that they concluded, which was really, really powerful in my mind, is that First of all, most people that overstride and heel strike, their stride frequency is about 160 strides per minute. So increase the uh, strike rate. If you increase your cadence by 5% when you were typically at around 160 strides per minute, you will reduce the potential for injury by 20%. This has been proven. And if you increase your cadence by 10%, you reduce the potential for injury by 32%. So what we figured out is that at about a 10% increase in frequency puts your foot pretty darn close to under center of mass, however you might hit the ground, and your potential for injury is reduced, and because you're not overstriding and imposing a braking force, you're going to move faster. So that would be absolutely the key consideration. Okay, what's number two? Number two is to... Take serious stock in the way you move your arms. So if you are crossing your body with your arm, you can expect that that's going to translate into a lot of ruckus below. You're going to start throwing your foot across your body. You're starting to avert. You're catching the outside edge of your foot. And as opposed to what I say, landing on the diving board, which is coming off your big toe, where all your force production is going to happen. So if you brought your contact point closer to center of mass and you had arm swing that's helping to steer the ship more efficiently, that would be huge. And and then the third thing would be to take into account what it's costing you to do the work you're doing. You want to look at heart rate. You know, people get really bent on heart rate. They don't want to give it any energy because it, it, they don't understand it. It's confusing for them. I absolutely love that Hanson Brooks episode. Oh, yeah. Well. Dude, you cooked him alive. He had no <laughs> answers for you. He could barely handle it. He's like giggling because he's just so screwed. You know what? And, and a lot of people got that wrong. They, You know, they, they thought that I was cooking him, that I was planning to cook him. He cooked himself, dude. I know he did. He, didn't, he just didn't have any response. He's like, well, uh, I just, uh, we just train differently. I'm like, well, well, you know, let me, oh, gosh, you shouldn't have brought it up. But now, now that you did, okay. 
So I asked the guy, do you give any energy to running mechanics? Do you, you know, what do you do about, you know, helping people? Oh, that's really not my thing. I, you know, there are experts that do that. And, you know, it's not, are you kidding me? You're a running coach and you don't talk to people about running mechanics? You don't try to help people mitigate some of the injuries they're facing because they're hitting the ground like crap? I mean, I was just tossed when he said that. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I, he, you know, he caught me off guard like two, three times like that with these, 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 these responses that just seem so irresponsible. And, and I, I'm, I'm telling you, I did not have a vendetta with him. I still don't. I just was caught off guard. I couldn't believe he said those things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry to bring up that bad news, but um, and hey, before we sign off, yeah, I'm reading this really great book. I think it's called. I don't know the full title. It's War. It's about um, it's about Lance Armstrong's 2004 race at the Tour de France. Really? So it's, yeah, it's an incredible book. I love reading this kind of stuff. Who wrote it? Uh, I'll, I'll pick it up right now on my phone. Um, it's really good. I'm telling you, you're just gonna. It, it's just so juicy. Uh, it does like kind of really get into the kind of stuff that he does, but I like it more because I get to um, find out it's Lance Armstrong's War. It's by Daniel Coyle. All right. Look it up. I will. Yeah. That sounds like a good one. This is something that entertains me, and I think you being such a specialist in endurance might be able to be able to come up with the perfect ratio of what kilos to, like, wattage. Like, you know, the, the ultimate cocktail for those guys to win the Tour de France is 6.7 watts per kilo is the winning number to be able to know to win the Tour de France. Now... If you were an athlete in this sport, what do you think people could start to kind of go towards for finding the perfect amount of endurance and power output compared to their weight ratio? You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I do. do yeah, and, and that's that really kind of – I'm talk, still trying to find that. We talked about the Rubik's Cube earlier, and that's essentially it. You yeah. know, you have to – it gets down to – and it's a very unique characteristic or value for most people because – as you suggested earlier when you're talking about clinical analysis, is that how come I can crush this and that and the other thing and my value is not as great as some of these other guys? So there you go. I mean, there's so many variables that uh, play into it, but obviously force production, power output relative to mass, you know, if it's less mass, more power production, that's more, that's more performance, right? Mm -hmm. So if you've got this, you know, well, I'll give you a good example. You know, I have an Audi, and, and I used to have an, an Audi A4. It's a four-cylinder turbocharged engine. That thing just is the most efficient vehicle that I've ever driven because it's not got a great big engine in it. It's not, you know, it's not got all this stuff going on. It's not got all this horsepower, but it just does a really good job with what it has. And so that's kind of what you try to create. You want to develop this machine that can produce great yield at low cost. And that's why I play so heavily into heart rate. And incidentally, you know, since we're on it, one of my sponsors, uh, RPM Squared, has produced a insole that will revolutionize the sport of running because it's going to allow you to train with power running, which has been the holy grail. No, So far, we haven't been able to do that. When's you, that coming out? I have it. I have it right now. It's, I mean, I've got the insoles in my possession. Give me this magic boot you speak of. <laughs> I've been trying to get, A, getting you in the secret lab again. B, getting Cassidy to go, because if Cassidy comes, you'll come. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, listen, thanks 
a ton for uh, coming on the show. You know, you and I are – and Cassidy, are you coming? She, yeah. She, uh, what, what are we looking at? Hopefully towards the end of the week? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, you guys show up. Let's get some work done. And in the meantime, get a Band-Aid on Hunter's elbow. And yeah. Thanks a ton for coming. And by the way, let's uh, let's get some PR going for your, your sites, guys. Cass, go ahead. Ladies first. Um, I got a a fantastic website, CassidyWatton.com where I have a really fun blog going on. Uh, you can contact me on there for coaching and maybe see uh, some pictures of my six-pack muffin top. <laughs> and um, and then also, of course, like Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. I'm trying to get more into the Twitter game these days. It's hard. It's, Twitter. It's, it's rough, but it's fun if you just accept it. I hate Twitter. So what's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's Cassidy Watton, and then... Instagram's Cassidy Lane Watton, which is my middle name. W-A-T-T-O-N. Yes. How do we find the sheriff? Me, dude. It's Hunt the Sheriff uh, on pretty much everything. And uh, basically, that that TV show that I'm working on is going to be coming out. The TV show is going to be coming out around uh, January, so that's going to be cool. And that's going to be through NBC Universal and... Uh, everything else, like if you guys want to just find out some cool tips, I'll probably be working with tips from Rich and all these other specialists around the world. I really do like to put out a lot of content on my Facebook page. He's also I'll, got a really fun um, weekly blog on Rant Sports. Or yeah. Video blog. So yeah, that's my, yeah, Rant Sports. Like that's my passion these days, is just being able to find out as much information as possible and then just kind of post something and, you know, let everybody else in the world kind of find out what I'm up to and all these cool tips and tricks I got on my uh, shoebox. Cool. Well, yeah. look, guys, thanks so much for coming on the show, and I will see you at the end of the week. Okay. All right, dude. Take it easy. You bet. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.